Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode, uh, and in today's episode, it'll just be me today, no Colin, and in today's episode, I will be previewing Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, if you already heard the game, I, you know, if you still want to listen, I just gave some analysis on that, I wrote a big, uh, long, it's a, I long, um, thing for keys for both teams to win, I'll make my final prediction for that game, Game 7 tonight at 8pm, then I'm gonna go over some of the NFL news, uh, News in the NFL, I feel there's just a little, you know, little news here like Dak Prescott, Cam Newton, Jalen Ramsey, Todd Gurley. So I think we'll we'll get to all of that, and I'll make up a segment, and then we are going to talk about. The, it's going to be a complete breakdown on who the 76ers should prioritize between Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris and the case for both players. So first, we're going to start with my Game Seven preview. So let's get to that. Alright, so this is going to be a great game tonight. Bruins and Blues maybe blow out for one team, but I don't really expect that too much. At least a few goal differential at most, but it's going to be a great game. If you're a hockey fan, at least just a little bit you're watching the game tonight. I don't care if, you know, you don't have a dog in the fight, or you're just, if you don't have a dog in the fight and you just watch hockey here and there, you're watching the game tonight. I mean, if you're just a general sports fan and you don't watch much hockey, you're watching the game. I mean, that's just how it's going to work. I know I'm going to watch the game. I might miss a little bit of it uh, at the beginning, but then I'm going to um, watch the rest of the game. I mean, it's just, it's must-watch hockey. And earlier today, I said I wrote it down, so I wrote this down earlier, so I'm going to read it off my uh paper that I wrote, a little article here that I wrote. So here are my kind of keys for each team to win, basically kind of like a paragraph on what they need to do. So first, I'll start with my Boston Bruins. All right, here's what I wrote. For the Bruins, they have to try to make this a special teams game. The Bruins are one of, if not the best power play team in the league, and the Blues penalty kill has struggled. Plus, the Bruins seem to get most of their goals on the man advantage, and when it comes to 5-on-5 hockey, the Blues are the better team. Then there's the big question. Should the Bruins play David Backus or stick with Carson Kuhlman? My answer is to stick with Carson Kuhlman. Now, this isn't just because he scored a great goal in Game 6, but because Kuhlman gives you much more speed than Backus. Sure, Backus would be better in the locker room and would bring more physicality, but when Backus has been in there, he seems to not make much of a difference. Plus, the Blues will always be the hammer and you'll always be the nail, meaning the Blues will always be more physical, but has... As long as you can absorb the hit and not let them the hits affect you, you'll be alright. The Bruins need as much speed as possible so they can skate the Blues out of the arena. Then there's a few more things the Bruins need to focus on. And one's a better forecheck. The Bruins' forecheck has struggled all series, and they finally got a goal off of Jake DeBrusque forecheck in Game 6, given Carlo got a lucky bounce off the ice, but still, a goal's a goal. I also think the Bruins' defense needs to play like they did in Game 6. They need to tighten up and really make sure the puck doesn't get behind the net. Wayne Gretzky used to do this all the time, and the Blues are have been doing it all series, and it's worked. It seems like Rask can't react in time to save the puck. Then, last but not least, the Bruins need to cycle the puck well and get shots on net, really take control of the puck and continue to get out of the Blues' skin, like they did in Game 6. 
Also, if I'm the Bruins, I try to slow down Ryan O'Reilly, who's been on fire lately. So that's kind of my uh, little analysis there. I mean, maybe there's some things that you want to, you know, pitch in on Anchor Mobile app. I know that, you know, when you're listening to this, probably, you know, the game's already started or the odds uh, of it are very high that the game's already over. But I really, I just thought this was very good analysis. And maybe you are listening before the game. So, and even if you are, and I, I find this very interesting analysis that you can kind of see what I had to say and did the team do it? You know, did the Bruins do what I said? Did the Blues do what I'm about to say? The Blues analysis is a little shorter, I will say. Um, I will say, yeah, because I am a Bruins fan, so, you know, I know a little more there. But obviously, I know kind of what the Blues need to do because I've been watching the series. So that's, that's what I need. That's what the Blue, Bruins have to do. Maybe you think... You know, a few things a little differently, but that's what I believe the Bruins need to do tonight. Those are kind of their keys. And if you're listening after the game again, go through what I said. Did they do it? You know, and you know, we'll, we'll see tomorrow uh, if the Bruins win. I'll be happy. I'll admit when it comes to championships, I'll probably end up saying this tomorrow, too. But when it comes to championships, I'm happy, but I'm not thrilled. You know, like I, I'm like happy. Like, yes, we won. But like. There's something about it where I'm just like, now what, you know? So, it's just, it's it's very weird uh, in that sense where it's just like, after we win a championship, you know, I'm happy, but it's just like, now now what, you know? So, that's just kind of my thing. It, it's very weird as a, as a such a diehard sports fan that I don't feel, you know, I feel very happy. I think I, I think I'm kind of telling you guys a little bit of wrong story because I am happy after they win, but. Well, whatever. Moving on. Uh, here's my analysis for the Blues. So here's here's what I wrote. For the Blues, it's all about keeping this a five-on-five hockey game and playing disciplined hockey. Obviously, they if they can get on the man advantage, that'll help them too. But try to stay disciplined and not let up uh, too many power plays for the Bruins. And the Blues penalty kill started this series off well, but the Bruins are starting to get the best of them. If the Blues can stay disciplined and keep the power play opportunities down for the Bruins, that's a big advantage for the Blues. The Blues have to keep cycling the puck around like they've been doing, maintaining a strong forecheck and get the pucks behind the net, which is what they were doing up until Game 6. The Blues also need to keep their composure and not let the Bruins get under their skin like they did in Game 6. That's when the Blues start committing penalties and losing focus on the game. The Blues defense also has to tighten up a little, just like the Bruins defense. The Blues will always be more physical than the Bruins. That's their game. But the Bruins will always be faster, and the Blues have to make sure the Bruins don't skate them out of the arena tonight. So I talked about that before the Bruins have to try to skate the Blues out of the arena. Both their defenses have to tighten up, so there are things that are the same. Um... Again, the pucks behind the net is an interesting one because a few people are like, you know, that was, that's only got him a few goals, but it's worked. Wayne Gretzky used to do that all the time. That's how he scored a lot of points. I mean, got a lot of goals, you know, got many assists. He just created opportunities from behind the net. That's what that's what they that's what he did, and the Blues are kind of doing that same thing. And back when Wayne Gretzky played, it was a physical game, so the Blues are kind of playing that kind of old school style, and. The Bruins should be a little used to that because, you know, they have that a little in their DNA as well. But they're focusing on speed. Uh, But overall analysis, here's what I wrote. Tonight should be a great game. It will also be an easy game for the NHL to quote-unquote rig. 
the NHL can tell the refs to call a lot of penalties to help the Bruins or not call many penalties to help the Blues. So far, it seems the refs are on the Blues side, which gives them the advantage. Overall, this series, there have been some games with the Bruins, but game five and six, the, the refs were on the Blues side, so that's kind of where I got that from. This past two games, the refs have been on the Blues side, so going on this game, that's, that's what I think. So that gives them an advantage right there. And something else I want to say, this is very controversial, but also this is a very weird to say, but I feel the Blues have an advantage on the road because the Bruins are in front of their home crowd with the trophy right down the hall just sitting there. You have all that pressure from the fans. As great as it has, it is to have them you know, behind you cheering for you. You, They are putting the pressure on you all of a sudden. It's Game 7. It's right there. And you see all those hungry fans just sitting right there wanting that cup really, really badly. So, you know, I don't know. Um, that that could really go either way. Obviously, it's an advantage to have your home ice, but in a way, it can be a disadvantage in this type of situation. All right, and then when it comes down to goaltending, the matchup looks very good. Bennington has been great facing elimination, great after losses, so we should have a pretty solid outing tonight. Then there's Rask, who is amazing in Game 6 and will be looking to keep things going. He's been great all postseason. I thought going into Game 6, he'd just been a little over average, but that Game 6, he really stood on his head and was a huge part in that win. Again, it was 5-1, to one, but it was really closer than that. He kind of blew it open late in that game. Then, you know, they're committing stupid penalties because you got under their skin. That's what I was talking about you really did so my pick is the Bruins I did not explain my pick because I already talked about all the keys but this is what I said I mean I'm a Bruins fan and it's really a toss-up for tonight's game so of course I'm taking my team I do think the favorites going in tonight are the Bruins but the Blues could definitely win it's game seven in the NHL finals I mean it's really a toss-up but I'm going with the Bruins because I'm a Bruins fan if I were a Blues fan I'd pick the Blues that's just how it's gonna go like I know you're probably saying well Aiden you picked the Celtics to lose in the second round or the third round or something I picked them to not win the whole thing but yeah that was overall it's just like they're probably not gonna win the whole thing but the Bruins if it really comes down to like all of a sudden the game like it's a close game kind of a toss-up I'm gonna go with my team but if the odds are heavily against my team and I know it then I won't I'll pick against my team this is one that's pretty 50 50 is about 55% chance the Bruins win, Blues 45% chance. Something around there. It's going to be a good game. I'm not sure who's going to win. I wouldn't bet too much money on either team because I just don't know. So that's kind of my uh, analysis here. I figured I'd give a little in-depth look, whether you are listening before the game or after, so you can kind of look at my points. You know, did they do the things that I said? Did any of that cost them the game? So we'll see how tonight's game goes, but I'm picking the Bruins because I'm a Bruins fan. So now we are going to get to some of the top uh, NFL news currently today, so let's get to that. All right, so first I want to start out with the Todd Gurley news here. So we obviously know he's missing, um, you know, minicamp here. Um, he says his knee injury is small, which is he was limited in the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl because of his knee injury. Okay, and they've they've you know considered these stuff like I've heard stem cell surgery or whatever. And I don't know a lot about it. I'll I'm gonna totally be honest. Uh, it's just not I don't know really a lot about it, but it's kind of a little severe. So there's obviously concern. Uh, Sean McVay didn't even want to talk about it. And this is a guy who had 45 rushing yards in the NFC Championship in the Super Bowl. They relied on C.J. Anderson over Todd Gurley. They picked Daryl Henderson, or Daryl, Daryl, whatever, who's a good running back. And in the third round, when you pick a running back in the third round, that has to tell you a little bit that they're not they're not too keen on the situation with Todd Gurley. He's missing minicamp. They're picking a running back in the third round. They wanted um, the backup. 
whose name wasn't CJ Anderson. I keep I keep forgetting his name. Um, they had uh, uh, Brown, Brown. Yep, I I Marlon Brown. Or I'll be honest, I forget his name. Now I do. I always remember. You know the Rams running back because no one. I always thought he was actually a solid running back. Just didn't get enough touches. Now today I forget his name. Of course, but uh, he was good. He left. They wanted him back really bad because they're concerned about Todd Gurley. It does not sound like we're going to see the same Todd Gurley. You know, I always liked Todd Gurley, but I was always a little eerie on him. Not just because of this, just, I don't know, like that second year just got to me. And now it just doesn't sound like we're going to see the same Todd Gurley. Again, Mrs. Minicamp, they're picking a running back in the third round, want their backup up very badly. You know, they're considering stem cell surgery, and Sean McVay doesn't want to talk about it. And this barely gets any touches. He's missing minicamp and says this is small. I think Todd Gurley's trying to downplay the severity of his knee injury. That's just kind of what I'm taking out of it. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Will he come back the same? Because in my opinion, I'm not, I'm really not sure if Todd Gurley comes back as the same football player. Last year, he rushed for 1,200 51 yards and 17 touchdowns. That is absolutely that. That's crazy. He also caught four touchdowns and 580 yards, which meant overall he had 21 touchdowns. This guy he was averaging a touchdown over like a touchdown a week, which is absolutely insane. I don't think we're gonna see that same Todd Gurley. I don't. I don't know. I listen. At least, I think we're going to see around 75%, 80% of Todd Gurley. I think this is actually pretty severe. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, then you hear like the Cam Newton news. So apparently Cam Newton throwing again. He had the shoulder surgery. He's obviously having shoulder problems. Now, I'm, I was never a huge fan of Cam Newton. Uh, like I was a little eerie on Todd Gurley, but overall I thought he was a salt running back. Cam Newton is just something... Because, it, you know, it is, um, you know, he's got the shoulder injury. So, him as a throwing quarterback, I always thought him was just inefficient, throwing a lot of interceptions. And, again, he's had MVPs, but a lot of it is scrambling. You know, makes him such a threat. Because when you're able to scramble as a quarterback, that makes you better in general just because you're scoring touchdowns and, you know, you're running. But that makes you more of a threat and more to game plan for. So, now they have to game plan for you actually – scrambling with the football. So if he's not able to do that, he's probably throwing more interceptions. So his ability to scramble actually, you know, helps cover up his throwing issues in a way. I don't I don't want to say it's a throwing issue, but it helps cover up the amount of interceptions he had. Like, he had 13 interceptions last season. 13. If he's not able to scramble as well, maybe that's 15 interceptions because now all of a sudden they the defense can kind of sit back and doesn't have to worry about him scrambling really at all. Now that they have to do that, it gives the uh, it has um, and kind of takes the pressure off the receivers a little bit and gives Newton a little more you know breathing room and throwing room. I, it's tough to explain. I hope you can kind of get the point I'm getting at. But 13 picks last year, 2017, and he only played 14 games. This guy was throwing a pick a game. I remember some games it would be right off the bat, we're in the first quarter, he's got two picks. It's like crazy. And again, it isn't entirely his fault. He had the shoulder injury. His defense is not that good. His O-line was horrible. And his receiving core is a little underrated, but it's still not that good. And really only a Christian McCaffrey. 
So it's tough. Cam Newton was up against the wall. Uh, he was. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and lie. He isn't. A, he wasn't at one time MVP. So, I mean, <laughs> take take what that's worth. It, it, when his team went 15 and one back in 2015, he had 10 interceptions that year, 35 touchdown passes. But again, 24 touchdown passes this year against 13 interceptions. His ratio is under two touchdowns to one interception. Every time he throws two touchdowns, he's throwing one interception. But that's like a 1.91 to 1 ratio. Something around there. That's less than two touchdowns for every one interception. And that's not that, that's not that great. Again, the shoulder injury, the offensive line, the defense doesn't help out either. I know the defense has really nothing to do with the picks. But you get where I'm kind of trying to go at with this. I just think his is I was never really a huge fan just because of those injuries, really. Now he's got another surgery, but he is throwing again. He is throwing in, which is good to hear. Um, very good to hear. And then there's Shailen Ramsey. I'm not going to get to this one too much, but apparently he will not be getting a contract extension this year. Obviously, he looks like a franchise corner. He he talks his mouth a lot, but um, I mean, he's still a great corner for the Jags, but apparently they're not going to extend him. They want to kind of wait things out a little bit, and I, I'm not, I'm all right with that because if Jalen Ramsey still want, he says he wants to be there, um, but he's not going to get the contract yet. Too much has to, you know, hit him a, a little. Uh, but I think they just want to wait it out, make sure there's no major injury, because they figured, you know, if we can wait this out, let's wait it out, because we want to make sure there's no major injury or he doesn't have a down year that maybe decreases his value and the money we actually have to pay this guy. Um, again. 2018, this he had three interceptions and three 65 tackles. So he's had around the same type of year, like every single year. 2016, two interceptions and 65 tackles. 2017, four interceptions, 63 tackles. In 2018, three interceptions, 65 tackles. He really has not improved that much. I mean, in a way, he actually, let me reword that, he has. Because he's not getting thrown to a lot. So that's the thing. I hate those people who base it off just the interceptions. Like, I just stood there for a minute, and I stopped myself. I was like, Aiden, this isn't you. You don't base it right just off of interceptions. I mean, I, I never just I never do that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, And the reason I don't is because you can't base it off of interceptions. Because if you're not getting the ball thrown, if you're only getting the ball thrown to you four times a game, you know, that's... How are you supposed to get a lot of interceptions, you know? So if you're locking your receiver down and making sure he doesn't get a lot of targets, quality targets, then that 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 shows that you're doing a good job. Those guys that have seven, eight picks and are man-to-man corners just shows, yeah, they're ball hawks, but they're leaving their man a little open. Or they're leaving enough room for the quarterback to see an opening to throw the ball most of the time. So that's kind of that's that's where it comes from. But Jalen Ramsey, I think he's worthy of a big, uh, big you know contract. But I see why the Jaguars want to wait it out because they figure if we can wait it out, let's wait it out. That's what you do. That's that's what you do in the NFL because you know a big injury can happen any day. And then the last news I want to get to the Dak Prescott news. So Dak Prescott apparently you know he's on his last uh, year of his deal. He's just going to get a little over two million dollars. So what should the Cowboys do? The Cowboys loved him when Tony Romo, he was, you know, the replacement for Tony Romo. Then they kind of, you know, weren't that interested in him anymore. And, you know, he's he was eh after that. And then the next year he 
this year they're a little more keen on him again. Finally getting Amari Cooper, great receiver for him um, to, to finally get. Again, I still think Dak Prescott, I'm not entirely sold he's that great of a quarterback, or he'll ever be. Again, he's finally getting that receiver in Amari Cooper, but the offense has always ran through the running back, Ezekiel Elliott, and you'll never win doing that in today's NFL. They run their offense through Ezekiel Elliott, which you just you can't really do. I think the Panthers are trying to do that. The Giants may try to do that. But when your offense is centered around your running back, that's it's very hard to win, even when it's a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, because it's just a passing league, and it's tough. It's really hard to center your offense around a running back on a weekly basis, especially Zeke's not that great out of the backfield. And that's that's a very good uh, quarterback. There's no doubt about that. The team went 10-6, and six, made the playoffs, and he finally has that big receiver, and he's looked good. I do think he's worthy of a big deal, but I don't think he's worth $30 million. But he's going to get it. This year, the franchise tag is going to be around $25 million, or it was. So then it's then it'll uh, increase up to around $30 million. Uh, Carson Wentz had the big extension. I, I just don't believe Dak Prescott is worth that amount of money. But since quarterbacks are so rare, the stock for quarterbacks are way up. He may not be worth $30 million, but he's going to get it. Dak Prescott's still a solid young quarterback, but I'm not questioning that. It's just I just don't believe he's worth that money. But he's going to get it anyway, and I think he should. Plus, he's going to sit here and say, you've underpaid me for the past three, four years, right? $2 million, $1 million. I'm getting your franchise quarterback. I've put you in the playoffs. You know, I may not be elite, but I've been very good. I've been one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So, since you've underpaid me, yeah, I may not be worth $30 million, but those $30 million may make up for the times you've underpaid me in the past. So, maybe he kind of puts it that way. That would be great. Dak Prescott has to do that. Because if they're still like, you know what, yeah, you're not worth $30 million, put that on them and say, listen, you've underpaid me for the past three, four years. Time to give me the dough. So, you're going to give me a little extra this time around. That's what I do, and he's tried to you know do commercials uh, to kind of keep up and get the money he deserves. It's tough it happens because when these rookies that are drafted in the fourth round, third round, fourth round, yeah, 135th overall, um, come out of nowhere and all of a sudden play that good, they're not going to get paid a lot. That's just how it's going to work in football. So, yeah, Colin on the NFL News, and now I'm going to give you the complete breakdown on who the Philadelphia 76ers should prioritize between Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. All right, so I wrote this article around eight days ago. It is up on the Weekly Assist uh, website that I uh, write for, uh, and I, I wrote it, and I, they put it on there, so it's up there if you want to uh, read it and have that copied version. But since I doubt really any of you saw that on there, I figured I'd share it on this podcast too because it's not very popular at all uh, right now because it's still pretty uh, pretty new uh, NBA um, website. There are a few people that write on there. Uh, the tip-off writes on there, Thomas Stapleton, and a few other people do it. And it's just a lot of NBA uh, articles, and it's very, very cool. Uh, an article should be coming up soon from me on there. So I figured I'd share it on here. So here's what I wrote. And Philadelphia 76ers are out of the playoffs, and one of their biggest questions heading into the offseason is who should they prioritize, Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris? My answer was always Tobias until the pa- about the past month or so. I picked Toby because he and Redick were two players who could really spread the floor for Ben Simmons and... 
for Ben Simmons. And although Jimmy is better, Toby is younger, and I feel that upon his trade, Jimmy Butler could have been very toxic in the locker room. This kind of behavior could hurt everything in the 76ers. Let me see. Uh, I've been working for. In the playoffs, Jimmy stepped up and was the much better player. He was also the team's closer and best player defensively, but the really important part was he wasn't toxic in the locker room. On the other hand, Tobias was just inconsistent in Philly and made me feel like I had overrated him a little too much. When I said this, then I looked back at his stats and he wasn't inconsistent, like as really, really inconsistent, but he was a little bit still. I gotta look back at his playoff stats and I feel... Felt, I'll say it later too, he shied away a little bit in the playoffs. And I do feel he did, but not as much as I really end up saying. Like when I look back at his stats, they weren't horrible, but he was a little inconsistent in Philly. But anyway, uh, moving on. Prior to the 76er trade, I felt he needed way more recognition. With that being said, Tobias still has great potential and could definitely be an asset with the 76ers going forward. So here's my case for both players. So yeah, that was not the breakdown. That was just a little preview for you guys. Now here's my case for both players uh, to be the um, major asset, if you will, for the Philadelphia 76ers. So start off with Jimmy Butler. Overall, Butler is the better player. He's much, much better defensively and is more consistent and is an absolute bucket getter. In the playoffs, he stepped up big time and wasn't afraid while Toby shied away at times and had a disappointing postseason. Which isn't to say that Tobias was horrible, but he didn't make a hold he didn't take a hold of the moment. Hmm. Yeah, alright. He didn't take he Sorry, this is a tongue twist. Didn't take a hold of the moment like Jimmy and also generally wasn't as good. All year, Jimmy was never afraid to take the big shot. Many people wondered if Jimmy would be toxic in the locker room and be a bad leader, but he was much better than expected and proved many people wrong, including me. So when I wrote this, actually, I will admit, the weekly assists, when I give them the article, they will uh, send them the article they'll, you know, keep the main idea of the message, but they use, like, Grammarly or something, and they kind of twist it up a little and, you know, put it into their own words a little more. And some of the stuff, sometimes, very rarely, they just I make perfect sense, and then they just change it to the point where it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It This has, like, only happened, like, twice, maybe. And it, it doesn't happen a lot. I've only seen it, like, twice. But it's just kind of weird because I had it perfectly grammatically correct, and then they just kind of change it on me. But that was my case for Jimmy Butler. Now here's the case for Tobias Harris. Harris would be the option that would fit the 76ers timeline better. He's a young... Excuse me, younger player that could help them out for longer. While Jimmy Butler can shoot, Tobias Harris can spread the floor more effectively and be less ball dominant, which is helpful since Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid both need the ball to make plays. There's also the chance, although sh- not sure how lightly, likely that Tobias Harris would sign for less than the max, which could be cheaper than retaining Jimmy Butler. This would give the 76ers potentially more money to spend on adding pieces to the bench. Tobias Harris doesn't hold the negative locker room reputation like Jimmy Butler and is far less likely to explode on his teammates. Explode? I remember saying, um, like, you know, rage on his teammates. Something that made a little more sense than explode. But, you know, you get the point. Again, they do change a little of the stuff that to the point where my words were perfectly fine and they just change it up to make it a little confusing or because they feel it's a little better. I don't know. They keep doing their thing. I'm just grateful uh, that I write for them. But, again, they, they can be a little, uh, you know, their grammar is a little different in my opinion. But overall, it's fine. 
So you can go read that. And overall, Jimmy and Tobias Harris, the contracts will probably be close anyway. But the pieces to the bench is a big one. This team needs depth. They, the big reason they didn't win in the playoffs was because their depth was horrible. All their scoring came from that starting five. All of it. They had nothing from that bench at all. At all. And Bobon probably should have played a little more. You play around 12 minutes and give you like an efficient, very efficient 12 minutes. I thought you should have played a little more, but... To wrap things up, that being said, it's entirely possible that the 76ers lose both of them. It's also possible that they both want to return. If indeed both of them are interested in returning, and I had to prioritize between the two, I would choose Jimmy Butler because he's overall the better player, regardless of his volatility. That one was definitely changed, so I don't like that at all because I don't even know what volatility means. But again, they do their thing to make it a little more fancy, but to me... That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but volatility, um, it basically how is how toxic he was in the locker room, and overall he got better with that. I already told you why I choose Jimmy, but overall, and then Tobias also has a lot of upside, but based on what we've seen, Jimmy Butler would be the guy to make priority number one. So I definitely could tell they mixed a little bit of that up, a little more than I thought, because I didn't really read it thoroughly. I just kind of gave it in, and I saw, yeah, yeah, I kind of skimmed it over because I already know what I wrote. But I didn't really realize he changed that much stuff. He said he changed a little bit here and there, and that's what he did uh, for the next one. But I didn't really realize he changed that much. But anyway, thank you guys for listening to today's episode. Again, go call in on the Anchor mobile app, type in After the Buzzer Sports Talks, and then voice message. Also, go follow my Instagram, After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, um, no spaces. Again, that's After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. And go check out the weekly assist for articles from me, Thomas Stapleton, and many more people. Uh, NBA articles are very good reads. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed, and I hope to see you next time.